Gareth Jones on speed. News squelch. Stellantis announced this week that the next Alfa Romeo Giulia Quadrofoglio will be an all-wheel drive, 1,000 brake horsepower electric vehicle. Really? With Alfa's reputation for electrics, what could possibly go wrong? Hello and welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth, he's Zog. Hello. Zog, I've been resisting the temptation to renew my Sky F1 contract to save money, of course, in this age of austerity that we still appear to be in. But I'm going to have to renew it. I didn't renew it to watch testing in Bahrain, but I have been able to follow almost everything because... Pretty much everything Sky have put out has been available on YouTube. Have you been watching it on Sky or you've been watching clips or just watching the data? Well, like you, more on YouTube than Sky, to be honest. <laughs> Partly because my Skybox is doing a very annoying thing. It keeps screwing up. The- yeah, I need to get a Sky engineer out to have a look at the box, basically, and probably replace it. It keeps not tuning into the thing it's supposed to be recording. So I've had a couple of failed recordings of testing sessions. Oh, that's disappointing. But like you say, Sky, to their credit, are putting all that content up on YouTube. So it's available for us all to see whether we have a subscription or not. Yeah. Listen, on the point of getting your Skybox repaired, if your contract hasn't been renewed in the last... 18 months, you could in fact renew your contract and get given an entirely new Sky Q box. Did you know that? I didn't, but actually I think that box is old enough. I'm kind of assuming that they'll take one look at it and replace it in any case. Yeah, it's not a new one. It runs MS-DOS, does it? <laughs> it's that old. Uh, something <laughs> of the sort, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, doing the, it's probably one of those uh, Space Shuttle era seven and a half inch floppy disks or whatever. Yeah, hey, funny you should I'm say kidding. that. No, I don't know. Funny you should say that Space Shuttle era floppy disks. I remember doing an item for a BBC radio series I used to do back in the 90s about NASA. Actually, it was about computing, the series, but we did one programme about NASA and computing and how the five main computers on board the Space Shuttle Orbiter had been signed off in about 1976. And this was 1996, and they were just upgrading them because they were actually running DOS at that point. They weren't even running a visual GUI. Fascinating. And people always say, oh, the space shuttle, it's the cutting edge of technology. No, it isn't. It's technology that's been locked down hard and any bugs removed. That's what you want for mission critical stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And just as with the space shuttle, so with quite a lot of other space tech. Yeah. A friend of the show, Doug Allison, could tell us more about this, I'm sure. But yeah, uh, well, he's certainly good on Mars rovers, for example, and on a lot of other space hardware, the computers that they use are not the newest, most cutting-edge designs. They are tried and tested old designs that have almost invariably been ruggedized for space use because your chip is much more likely to get hit by a cosmic ray that's going to do some damage. And so you need to ruggedize your system, make it a bit more resilient to radiation. And also you need something that's tried and tested that you absolutely know works and you know how it works. You're less likely to take a chance 
on a new system. Great use of the word ruggedize, by the way, Z. I like that. Ruggedize. Yeah. Uh, yes, there is no beta testing in outer space unless you're Elon Musk, perhaps. Hey, testing. Right. Funny. There's my link, right? Testing. Oh, very slick. <sighs> Okay, what's your headline from the six short sessions? Se- six, six short, six short sessions. Try saying that with my list. We'll get there over three days in Bahrain. What's your view? Have Red Bull got this nailed down already? Yes. Yeah, there we go. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Zach. We'll join you next week for... <laughs> it is, isn't it? It really is. Well, they finished last season with the strongest driver-car combination. It looks very much from what we saw in testing that they've only taken steps forward. They've made the underlying package lighter. That helps them all round. The car's reliable. It was the fastest car in testing, discounting Zhao's super soft tyre glory run, which doesn't count for all that much, but may tell us there's some decent pace in that car, maybe. But yeah, Red Bull is clearly the quickest car. Max hasn't got any slower. Yeah, that's going to be a formidable combination. That's the driver and car combination to beat, no question. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree one bit. They've been outstanding so far. Although, lots of hope for Ferrari, who I think are a relatively close second. They seemed in good shape throughout the test. But Mercedes, I think they'll be scratching their heads a little bit and may well have been overtaken by Aston Martin. Yeah, it looks that way. It looks like Ferrari are probably second quickest. It's maybe a little harder to figure out where you go from there because you'd expect Mercedes to be the third quickest team there. But Aston Martin are looking super strong. And I think Adrian Newey or other people at Red Bull had specifically mentioned Aston Martin as a team they were concerned about. You know, they had their eye on. I don't think that's smoke and mirrors. You know, we saw really a good pace from the car, albeit with all from Alonso. We didn't see anything of Stroll in testing because he hurt himself falling off his bicycle. And let's hope he's okay for the start of the season. Actually, do we know anything about that? Have you heard what's the latest on his injuries? Do you know if he's expected to be there for the first race? I know they were making sure they had a reserve driver lined up. Drugovich, yeah. Their most recent press release, which may be out of date by the time this programme is in your ears, because we're only days away from the start of the season now, but their most recent statement was that their intention was to run Lance Stroll, but they would run Drogovic, not Vettel. Because at one point, it was mooted that possibly Vettel may get asked to come back, but that seemed to vanish very, very quickly. So I don't think that was anything other than wishful thinking by some people. Mm. But yeah, Alonso said that it would have been useful to have Stroll on the test because he's a benchmark. You know, when you're making comparisons, you want something to make a comparison against. And and Stroll was familiar with last year's car, so he would be able to say, oh no, this is better or this isn't. But I think Drogovic, despite being at the very start of his F1 career, will do a very good job because he was great in F2. Absolutely great. One of the stars of F2. Actually, I don't think you say his name Drogovic. I think it's pronounced Drugovic, I think, because I heard him say it once on an interview and he said Drogovic, not Drogovic. Okay. But he's Brazilian, not Russian. Okay, I'll listen out for that. And also, we're talking about, you know, teams at the sharp end. Alpine are a bit of a mystery at the moment because they weren't all that quick in the testing sessions, but 
the team was projecting an air of confidence that seemed wildly out of line with their testing times, but they apparently have an upgrade coming before the first race. Yep. They may have been running a slightly detuned engine. Both the drivers seem very happy with the car and the teams. So we may see an impressive early season performance by Alpine. Maybe. They made McLaren work for it last season. Right, last season they were fighting out with McLaren. You know, it may be that they've pulled clear of McLaren this year. I wonder. Yeah, McLaren... I'm, I'm sure they have. McLaren didn't seem to be in great shape. McLaren seemed to be really at odds with themselves. You know, a little bit lost at sea. They had a minor problem with the eyebrows, as they call them, over the front wheels that cost them loads of time and something else which cost them loads of testing time. So they didn't run their entire programme during testing. And that is to sort of get a baseline setup for the car. So they'll be playing catch up even when they get to qualifying and practice in Bahrain. But the way things move in Formula One, you know, they could catch up in the space of a couple of weeks. And, you know, we keep saying this, McLaren have got strength in depth. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe Aston Martin are moving towards a position of strength now. Because I know that they've pulled in a bunch of staff from other companies recently. They've got some Mercedes top staffers, I believe, there now as well, which seem to have bedded in nicely. And, yeah, I'd really like to see that... Aston Martin going well. I wish I felt more emotionally connected to Alonso and to Stroll than I did. I'm certainly more interested in Drugovic than I am Stroll and probably even Alonso as well. But, you know, Alonso will bring the most out of that car, won't he? Yeah, he will. And talk about Aston Martin bringing new staff on board. They've spent quite a bit of money recently and it seems like, you know, they've maybe been spending it in some useful places. They are showing progress and I expect them to be strong at the start of the season. Whether they can maintain that through the season and whether they can develop the car very well is another question. Well, last year, remember, after the first few races, they essentially scrapped their initial concept for the car and went to a side pod configuration that was more like the Red Bull and said, oh, no, no, we haven't copied that. We've been developing two right from the word go. So it seems that they do have the resources to look at a plan B, which I think even Mercedes have mooted this year. They say, well, if this doesn't work out, we've got a plan B lined up. But that seems to me to be a resource expensive way of going about things isn't it surely you debug what you know to work don't you or improve that well particularly when you're working in an environment with a budget cap yeah it must make it harder you've only got so much money to spend on this you know and you've only got so much money to spend on different areas of development so yeah that's a good question are you going to spend all the money that you have allocated to let's say your front suspension development are you going to focus on one concept and developing that one concept that you think is the best or do you split it do you have two different ideas going on there has to be a very good reason for you to split your effort i assume that would have to do with how much uncertainty you have about how you can develop that over the year mm. you know you you don't know enough about that concept that idea yet if you're prepared to seriously consider splitting the effort most of the cars appear to be evolutions of the 2022 basic 
concept. There's been yeah. some tweaking of side pods. And of course, we can't see where most of the changes take place because it's all about the underfloor now. And that's the only downside, in my opinion, of these new rules, because the aerodynamic and engineering regulations for the car are so tied down now in a way that they haven't been before. There isn't going to be a lot of visual difference between the cars, but underneath the car where you can make all those changes, we don't get to see that. And the downside of that is we get a bunch of cars which look more or less the same, only compared to cars of, let's say, even the 90s, or certainly the 70s, when you had a massive disparity in concepts on the grid and I miss that slightly I know that development tends to cause convergence doesn't it everyone arrives at more or less the same solution until someone has a brainstorm and that's beautiful engineering but it's not great entertainment for those of us who like variety if you want variety go to the WEC that's how it works isn't it yeah as I imagine you are I found very little to excite me in the look of this year's car they look very similar and they also look very similar to last year's cars you know the side pod differences are there but overwhelmingly it's a lot of just these little detail changes here and there honestly it's not getting me terribly excited i'm more interested in seeing the new drivers coming on board seeing how piastri is going to do oh yeah yeah it's more things like that that i'm excited about for this season i'm excited about having hulkenberg back he's already had a couple of sort of glory runs where he looked very solid in bahrain i hope he does good in the race he's very reliable isn't he dependable he is he is but again i'm not as big a hulk fan as you i've never found him quite as convincing exciting a driver as you do i mean yeah he is dependable he is solid but uh, no actually the, the driver that's got me really excited at the moment is bottas bottas mark ii in your carnation i'm going to be shouting for bottas every race this year i love the look of the alfa romeo that is a beautiful looking car yeah bottas's testing helmet with the mullet paint scheme fantastic nice to have a bit of sense of humor in there as well like I say, the Mark II, slightly more relaxed Bottas, is an absolute star. Yeah, go Valtteri. Yep. Go Valtteri. I want to see him scoring at every race. I'll always back any Finn on the grid. I love the Finns, particularly Bottas. My wild card for this season, talking about Bottas, is Alfa Romeo Sauber. I don't know what we call them. Alfa Sauber, I'm going to call them. But I reckon that the Ferrari engine, there's been a lot of talk about how Ferrari have been able to turn the wick up on what was a very reliable engine last year, but was slightly pulled back from its maximum revs. They've turned the wick up on that. So I think all the teams running Ferrari engines, Ferrari themselves included, Alpha and Haas, will make a slight step up the grid that's my prediction and as you always say zog making predictions is very difficult particularly about the future there you go gareth jones on speed no squelch Volkswagen is updating its id3 electric hatch a year earlier than planned due to criticism of some of the car's features from customers and media. The improvements include cosmetic changes outside and upgrades to the interior quality and software. However, they won't be available to UK drivers until mid-2024, by which time owners might have finally found an electric charging point 
that is actually working properly. I thought it was about time that we did a little more engagement on Gareth Jones on Speed. And by that, I don't mean buying rings and having parties before you get married. I mean engaging with you guys who listen to this show because we get loads of feedback from you. And I thought it'd be really nice to actually ask you guys to come up with some topics for conversation or questions that Zog and I could answer here on the programme. So we'll give you a voice. We are a show of the people, as a socialist. We are the show of the people. And so here are, Zog, some of the questions that we received. The first one is from Menace F1 at Toot.Wales, which is a Mastodon address. And I think that's probably the first time we've mentioned Mastodon on the programme. And I am on Mastodon, by the way at Gareth Jones TV, if you want to follow me there. And Menace F1 asks this. Lots of comments about the upcoming ban on tyre warmers. Would be interested if you think it's a good thing or not. Also, are you or Zog planning to attend an F1 race this year? And if so, which one? First of all, tyre warmers. Lewis said having no tyre warmers is dangerous. Do you agree, Zog? I don't know enough about it to confidently say one way or the other but I do take what Lewis and he wasn't the only driver that said there'll be safety issues with ditching tyre warmers I take what they say at face value I think if that's what drivers are saying I'll believe that especially given that the reason why they're saying it would be dangerous you know tyres taking longer to come up to temperature you're spending more time getting the tyres up to a working temperature and we know that when drivers are getting their tyres up to temperature, they're more likely to have an incident. You know, you're more likely to have a spin because they haven't got as much grip at that moment in that corner just coming out of the pits that they thought they'd have. So, yeah, I think it's probably not a good thing. On a side note, I noticed, I think one of the justifications for this is it's like an energy-saving measure, or there's at least a suggestion that it's an energy-saving thing. If that is the justification, it's silly. Agreed. Seems to me, because, you know, you know, in the grand scheme of things, the amount of energy that's going into warming tyres is trivial. It's tiny. It's a rounding error on a rounding error, and it's something that has safety implications. So that's not a good place to look for any kind of energy saving. I know also that actually Lewis had, I think in his comments, said something about if we're not using tyre warmers to bring the tyres up to temperature, we're going to be using more fuel bringing up to temperature. Yeah. I don't understand that. That sounds, you know, with all due respect to a professional racing driver, that sounds like rubbish to me because, for one thing, they're fuel limited. You know, you have a certain amount of fuel to use in the race and that's how much you use. I don't think they're going to use any more fuel getting tyres up to temperature. Bottom line, it sounds to me like it's not a good idea. Why bother? Don't do it. I disagree. I think there are plenty of race series in the world, IndyCar included, who don't use tyre warmers and they manage without too many crashes i understand lewis's concerns but the energy saving thing is nonsense you know how much energy are you putting into heat up a tire how much energy are you using to carry those tyre warmers and the batteries that make them work around the world it's negligible if you want to save energy in terms of what f1 spends almost like a, a carbon footprint well you reduce the number of people who travel to each race by 50 percent. you know that would make a huge difference mm, not mm, tire mm, warmers mm. but i do think that it will add another level of jeopardy 
to the race, it will reduce the benefit you get from pit stopping slightly, which means it will return to an all-out sprint rather than, you know, the advantage of coming out with already hot tyres. Every pit stop will be less efficient in terms of time from now on. And the whole idea of a slightly slithery car on its first couple of laps adds the jeopardy. And we want random factors playing into the race. Oh, he spun off by trying too hard on his outlap and he was leading the race. Great. I think we need that. So I'm actually all for it. All for it. It feels like a step back, but it's a step back that may introduce more entertainment. So great question, Menace F1. That's a fair point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yep. Second one, we planning to go any races this year, F1 Zog? Going to go to Silverstone if we can? If we can. We haven't got any side plans at the moment. My other thought is I'll absolutely go to the Vegas Grand Prix if I win enough at the World Series in June. Of course. Don't have any side plans at the moment. I am intending to go to the World Series of Poker in June. If that's a profitable trip, if it's sufficiently profitable... I'll go back for the Vegas Grand Prix later in the year. It's your home Grand Prix. That's my sketchy, optimistic plan. Okay, on to the next one. (laughs) These are great. These are bonkers. We'll rattle through these. Larry Van Zandt, who got in touch via the Gareth Jones on Speed Facebook page. And if you haven't visited that, why not drop in? Come and drop us a line. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Larry Van Zandt has a section of four questions. The first one (laughs) of which is, how much streetcar horsepower is too much i would have this question sponsored Ooh. by ferrari this program is brought to you by ferrari or even tesla you could say do you think we need enough for limits on streetcar horsepower well can you ever have too much horsepower no yes you can no okay it depends on the driver and it depends on how the car puts the power down there's a lot of difference between a very peaky turbo delivery and a much smoother across the range delivery i mean probably 500 horsepower yeah you know yeah once you get above 500 you're generally getting to the area where you want to be a slightly more skilled driver to deal with that but then again there are you know fast mercedes that fast bmws that have more than 500 horsepower and you can drive fairly comfortably but for my grandmother years ago 50 horsepower was too much you know it it depends (laughs) okay well the answer may be z that you have a driving license you could drive pretty much any four-wheeled car but i think if you have a car that produces over 500 brake horsepower you might be obliged to take the advanced driver's course or even a track course so that we know that you Mm. are qualified to move up to the upper echelon. That would be my solution. Great question. All right, another one from Larry Van Zandt. Should Goodwood be opened up to Formula E? And if so, who would be called to quell the rioting? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, why not? Come on. What's wrong with Formula E at Goodwood? Absolutely. No problem with that at all. Yeah. Me too. I'm not sure it meets the year category, but maybe Goodwood should have a future category. You know, they have like, you know, you're allowed to run cars up to, is it 1980 now? Something like that. Mm, At the, um, not the Festival of Speed. What's the other one called? The 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 Revival. revival. Goodwood Revival. Yeah. The Revival. Maybe they should have the opposite of a revival. What is the opposite of a revival? A pilot? An advance? A murder? A, uh, sorry, um, no, <laughs> um, a suppression of religious uh, expression? No, I don't know. Ah, very good. I see where you're going. Uh, yeah, 
Futurama. Futurama. That's it. We'll call it that. Good with Futurama. Good word, future armor. I would go to that. Okay, third one from Larry Munzant, because he's a great. Should Jeremy Clarkson go full Kevin Costner, Field of Dreams, dances with show producers, and build a baseball diamond somewhere on his farm? Uh, I've got to be, I have not watched any of Clarkson's farm. Honestly, really, I've kind of become rather disinterested in a lot of what Clarkson does these days because I just felt a while back that he'd become a prisoner of his own TV personality. Yeah. The loud, boorish Clarkson was a kind of persona that I think he'd created and worked very well as a TV thing. He's a rather smarter person with more nuanced views than the boorish Clarkson idiot persona. He seems to me he got a bit trapped by that whole Clarkson persona, and I've never been interested in watching Clarkson's farm. So, uh, baseball diamond, go full Kevin Costner. He can do whatever he likes in his farm. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to see it. But yes, may he do wonderful things on his farm and do good things, and may entertain many people and feed many people. And feed many people's dreams. I mean, I don't know. It's no, Field of dreams. Good luck to him. But I'm not involved. I'm not watching. I'd recommend Clarkson's Farm. It's probably the most intelligent bit of television I've seen him make in perhaps 10 years. I think it makes some really healthy points. I found it genuinely informative, almost educational. I really enjoyed it the first season. I haven't watched the second one yet, but I'm going to. To be fair, you're the second person that said that to me this week. You're not the only person that said exactly the same thing about it. So, yeah, I'm probably being very unfair But I'm also being honest about what I think about him at the moment. But he's a terrific and a very intelligent writer whose boorish public persona is rather out of whack with the intelligence that he shows in a lot of his writing. And I think it's a shame. Although I do completely agree with him that any member of royalty should have human excrement thrown at them. (laughs) No, don't don't go there with that. That column was disgraceful. Absolutely absolutely disgraceful. Outrageous. It was. It, it was, was horrible. It, it was, was a really nasty piece of writing. Really unpleasant. I'm not sure he was actually advocating that happening. He was making a... No, but he was being extremely careless with what he wrote. He was careless, And if yes. you're somebody that has that much of a readership, and also if you're somebody who's that good with words, he's very good with words. He knows how to write. Yeah. I'm not a royalist, but what he wrote was disgraceful. But he did watch Game of Thrones, so I know what he was referring to there. (laughs) Which makes it worse. The fact that he was referring to a scene (laughs) where somebody is being publicly humiliated in that way. Let's not bang on about it. It It was a horrible piece of writing. This question from Michael Burke. No, not that Michael Burke, the newsreader. This came over Facebook. Will Giancarlo Minardi, with Paul Stoddart, buy back Alpha Tauri? And what can we do to make that happen? That's a good idea, isn't it? Crowdfund it. What else? You know, let's do crowdfund it. Oh, that's a good idea. Let's do a Kickstarter. What's the record for a Kickstarter? What's the most somebody's raised on, on wow. Kickstarter or something like that? Or GoFundMe. I wonder what the record is. Because I think it would have to be a record crowdfunding effort to buy an F1 team, even Alpha Tauri. Yeah. That's a great idea, though, isn't it? A crowdfunded... Talking about engagement, the whole reason for doing this is engagement. How about that for a level of engagement where F1 offered a team to be owned by the viewership? That would make you a stakeholder in F1, and that would mean that you would watch every race. That's a great idea. A fan ownership model would be a very interesting one for Mm. a top-tier motorsport, no question. How well that would work, whether you could make it work, I don't know, but it's an interesting idea. I'm surprised that Alfa Romeo bought into at a very scant level, Sauber team. 
really, as Alfa Romeo are Italian, they should have acquired Alfa Tauri. Heck, it's almost named correctly for them. They're based in Italy. It would make a lot of sense to me. They'd have to run non-Honda engines, of course, but I'd love that. I have no emotional connection to Alfa Tauri whatsoever. But if Dallara for instance, acquired Alpha Tauri and started racing as Delara, I would support that. Mm. You know, we need another proper team. I'm not saying that Alpha Tauri aren't a proper team. Forgive me for that inference. But it'd be great to have a team with heritage in F1 in that position. I know Minardi are still there, as discussed with Paul Stoddart and Giancarlo Minardi. In fact, is Giancarlo Minardi still alive? I'm not sure he is. I don't know. I'm going to assume that if he's being mentioned in Michael's question, that he is. Mm. But I'd also assume that, you know, he's probably old enough that he might not be very interested in running an F1 team anymore. Yeah. I think Paul Stoddart isn't. He gave off an F1 a long time ago, and I'm not even sure how much aviation stuff he does anymore either. I don't know. Do European aviation still function? Who knows? Okay, another one from Michael Burke, because he's very good at this. If Williams continue to bring up the rear... With no improvement in performance, does this mean that the sliding scale of wind tunnel restriction time and other resources isn't working to the extent that the FAA had hoped in order to get the grid closer together? Not just Williams too, but McLaren could be grouped with this as well. I'm going to go first on this. I yeah. personally think that it's a little early to make judgments on that. I think these restrictions due to where you finish on the grid or indeed increase in wind tunnel time, I think that is going to take a cycle of three seasons at least to bed in before we start to see real changes. It's like the balance of performance that Le Mans use, isn't it? You know, they're constantly right, tweaking yeah. how much they change that to get it to work in context. So the answer, Michael, in my opinion, is it's too early to say. But in principle, you agree with this, Sog? It's a great idea, isn't it? I mean, you said exactly what I would have... Uh, really, what, yeah. Exactly what I was going to say. It's too early to say. It'll take a while. I think, you know, you need another couple of years before it's clear whether that approach isn't working as intended. It's too early to tell. There we are. All right, Owen. This one from Twitter now. These are responses we had from Twitter. This one from John Coombs. If you are driving your car at night... At the speed of light, okay, so that's going to be a okay. very good car. If you put your headlights on, can you see better? <laughs> okay. Now, this is simultaneously kind of sort of a very easy question and also a very complicated one. You're the physicist amongst us, Zog. So the simple answer, if you were driving your car at night at the speed of light and you put your headlights on, could you see better? Yes. That's the answer. Yes, you can. The slightly more long-winded answer is... Yes, because, and the because is, well, first of all, <laughs> there's a mistake in the question because you are not going to be driving your car at the speed of light. The only things that will go at the speed of light are things that have zero mass. rest mass. Yeah. You, know, you cannot take anything that has any finite mass and accelerate it to the speed of light. You cannot do it. The only things that will go at, at the speed of light are photons and other massless particles like gravitons if they exist you can get very very close to the speed of light so let's say you're driving as close to the speed of light as you can get so 99.9999999% of the speed of light whatever it is you're driving at as near the speed of light as makes no odds 
as determined by an external observer, this is. So somebody else is seeing you whizzing by at nearly the speed of light. The thing is, according to relativity, any experiment that you do in any inertial frame of reference will give you the same result. There is no way of telling from any experiment you do in an inertial frame of reference, a non-accelerating frame of reference, that will tell you what speed you are going relative to the universe. You can't do it. You can go at any speed you like in any direction and your inertial frame will give you the same results of any experiment. You can't use an experiment to say how fast you're going. Just like if you imagine yourself being in a sealed room in a ship, an ocean liner sailing on very calm seas, there'd be nothing you could do in that room if the boat wasn't moving about to determine how fast that boat was going. Right. You couldn't tell whether you were docked or whether you were travelling at 20 knots or 40 knots. And so for your car travelling near the speed of light, just as if you were parked or if you were driving at 60 miles an hour up the road and you turn your lights on and you can all of a sudden, that thing that was 50 yards ahead of you, you can see more clearly. Similarly, if you were travelling near the speed of light and there was a thing 50 yards ahead of you travelling at the same speed, when you turn your lights on, you will see it more clearly, just as you would if you were standing still. All speed is relative, I think that's what you're... Or velocity is relative, is that what you're trying to say? That would be one way of yeah, yeah. summing it up. That sort of loses some subtlety thing. But yeah, any experiment in an inertial frame will give you the same result, the same experimental result. I think what John Coombs was getting at here is if you're travelling at the speed of light, or 99.999, the speed of light, if you turn your lights on, will you, in fact, crash into your beam because it's travelling at the same speed as you? Or is it like someone on the back of a flatbed truck doing 60 miles per hour, throwing a ball forward. You know, do you get, what's the word? A compound acceleration. You don't get compound acceleration. No, you don't. Firing a light beam from your car will look the same to you, no matter how fast you're going as seen by another observer. Whatever experiment you can think of to measure the speed of light in your inertial frame of reference, your frame of reference being the car, whatever experiment you come up with to measure the speed of light you're going to come up with the speed of light as the answer. Uh -huh. you know, 299,000 kilometres per second, or whatever it is, roughly. One final thought. Am I right in understanding that if you travel at the speed of light with mass, time stops for you? So that's academic, whether you can see or not, because everything's stopped. Mass doesn't come into that issue. It's okay. a question of time dilation. Yeah, mass has nothing to do with it. There are time dilation and there are time effects that happen with relativistic velocities and with acceleration. It all gets a bit complicated, but suffice to say that you will not notice any difference in your frame of reference. But there's famously the twins paradox. If somebody stays on planet Earth and somebody else accelerates away and then stops and then accelerates and comes back, the two twins will age differently. Their clocks will run at different speeds. Yeah. But you can see this effect much closer to home. GPS, we have to make corrections to the timing on GPS satellites in order for GPS to work properly. The relativistic time dilation effects are enough that if you didn't correct for both the effect of gravity on the clocks of your satellites or rather the difference between the clocks on the satellites and the clocks on the ground, and also the orbital velocity of the satellites, 
uh, and those are two different corrections. If you didn't correct for those two things, GPS would be out by, I think it's tens of kilometres per day, It's something like that. Oh, it's significant. Yeah, it's significant because GPS relies on very, very, very precise timing, so precise that we need to understand relativity to make the right corrections. So this is one of those cases where, you know, anytime anybody says, oh, what use is relativity and all that kind of silly abstract physics or mathematics well there you go gps would not work we would not be able to make it work if we didn't understand relativity bingo the case for science okay two questions from different people on more or less the same subject now first one from adam clark adam clark 182 on twitter it's a very special le mans this year not only the centenary but there are some big brands back in the top class what's your prediction for the overall winner so that's the first part from adam clark the second part is from robert jennings who is captain hutt on twitter robert says i'm a big f1 fan with a passing interest in other forms of motorsport what advice would you give to an f1 fan who'd like to go to le mans how do you keep track of the race where'd you go what other entertainment is there what's better or worse than an f1 event deal he says which is thank you in welsh i'm going to start with this one yeah go on le mans it can be tricky to keep an eye over what's going on you've got to keep an ear out a lot of the time keep the radio headset on and listen to radio le mans that tells you what's going on at any point during a race what advice would i give to an f1 fan absolutely go you will be blown away if you find f1 satisfying you will find when you've been to uh, le mans 24 hours that you start thinking gosh i had no idea that this kind of motorsport was even better than formula one and in terms of predictions i think it's going to be toyota's year this year i don't think any of the lm DH cars are going to be quite up there. Toyota are well-practiced now at winning at Le Mans, so I think that they're going to do well. But I do want Ferrari to be at least on the podium this year with that beautiful new Ferrari WEC car. That's my answer. How about you, Zog? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd echo pretty much all of that. First of all, yeah, if you're interested in Le Mans and you're an F1 fan, go. That's it. Simple as that. One word answer. How do you follow the race? Radio Le Mans. It's the best way to do it. Not just because you are getting a solid update on what's going on in the race, but it really contributes to, you know, you're getting a real sense of the atmosphere of the event, even if you're not there. We're both big fans of Radio Le Mans, and that is how you follow the race. It's definitely worth going along maybe to Anage, the uh, village nearby, maybe on the Friday night or the Thursday night before the race. Yep. There are a lot of restaurants down the main strip there and over that Le Mans weekend they'll be full of fans, there'll be a load of cars to spot parked up and driving by, there'll be great atmosphere. Yeah, so go to Anage, go into Le Mans. Enjoy some local food. Come and hang out with us. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. <laughs> That's a good way of following what's going on. And that is the beauty of Le Mans. It is as much a social event, in my opinion, as well as a race. You get to hang out with thousands, tens of thousands of other people who are as every bit as passionate about motorsport as you are. And a lot of shared information in conversations in bars around the circuit is a great way of keeping up, isn't it? Yeah, and I'll just add, I didn't make a prediction for the race. Who's going to take it this year i mean ferrari i think that would be the dream result yeah. ferrari taking the win on their return to the top flight of endurance racing i would love that to happen so make it so yeah make it so i love oh that yeah I, absolutely no it looks fantastic yeah. 
So it looks like a winner. Let's make it a winner. I love that car so much. When I see it in the flesh, I'm going to have to kiss it. Just a little kiss <laughs> on one of the arches over the front wheels, maybe, or even on its little bottom. I don't care. I kiss the dirtiest part of that car. It's gorgeous. Okay. One final question to wrap this up for now because it's all we've got time for from neil halworth at halworth neil on twitter he asks when is the north wales gareth jones on speed gets together at the ponderosa please do you know the ponderosa zog i don't know the ponderosa what's coming to mind is i'm picturing some kind of ranch um picture you know sort of <laughs> on the sort of texas Mexico border, windblown, tumbleweeds, a couple of horses tied up to the rail. That's what I'm seeing. Range, cowboy stuff. That's where my mind's going. You're kind of close in that the Ponderosa Cafe is a cafe on the Horseshoe Pass. So that's about as close as we're going to get to a ranch. The Horseshoe Pass, which is this wonderful bit of road in North Wales, which I've driven many times, but I've never been to the Ponderosa. It's a place where a lot of car enthusiasts, and I think more importantly, motorcycle enthusiasts, tend to gather. And it would be a great place for a hangout or a live recording of Gareth Jones on speed. We haven't made any plans for that yet, but it's definitely a very good idea. And I am in North Wales a lot. Yeah, it does sound like a decent idea, yeah. Yeah. So maybe... Who knows? Maybe. Neil, I know you've asked me this before. Maybe, Neil, we will do this. I will have a serious think about it. But for now, everyone who wrote in with sensible or ridiculous questions, thank you very, very much indeed. And there'll be more of this soon, I'm certain of it. And as ever, Zog, thank you for joining me to talk nonsense about cars. Always a pleasure. Who's going to win the race this weekend? Well, if I was putting money on it, I'd have to say Max Verstappen. Yeah, I'm going to go with the obvious favourite, Max Verstappen. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And my prediction is that I think George Russell will better Lewis this year. I think he's come in, he's looking confident, he's strong, he's had some quick moments. He really took the fight to Lewis on his first season in a Mercedes. He can only get better from here. I hope I'm wrong. I don't know if I will be. Well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. But for now, say farewell, Zog. Goodbye. And enjoy the racing, you guys. Speak to you in a fortnight. Bye. For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whiz Bang. Gareth Jones on Speed!